16. Are we going to read from there? I expect it will be on the screen as well, but maybe not. So Acts 15 tonight, and we're reading from verse 1 through to 11. It says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate within them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That is a nice final verse, that we are saved just as they are. I'm going to pray for us and then invite Matt up to share. Why don't you bow your heads with me? God, we want to thank you so much that um, you speak right there, that they are saved just as we are, God. And we want to thank you that you offer that as something to all of us available to be received whenever we're ready. And so we want to pray tonight that you speak um, through Matt, that you share your voice and your heart with us, that we'll be open to receive what it is you want to share with us tonight, God, and that through this, um, you will change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you join me in welcoming Matt? Thank you, Jess. Uh, good to be together tonight, isn't it? And I just wanted to explain why the 10th is our last service, because uh, literally the next Friday is Christmas lights, which we're excited for, and then the next Chris, and then the next Friday is Christmas Eve. We couldn't do anything about it. I'm really sorry. I looked at the calendar this week. I'm like, wow, that's such an early finish to the year, but maybe we'll come back a bit earlier than we normally do in January. But uh, yeah, it's going to be good to be joining together for Christmas, and uh, it's good to be joining together tonight. Uh, so we're in this series on Acts, and, uh, and we've been going through it, and I hope you've been uh, joining with us as been, we've been reading uh, along in these particular uh, chapters that we've been going through, and we've just seen the way that uh, Jesus is still making His presence known amongst this infant church, which is now really so, sort of starting to spread out and go right uh, through different places out from Jerusalem. And uh, so uh, Paul and Barnabas are out at this particular point. They've, they've headed out from Jerusalem. They're in different places. And then some people, some men come down from Judea uh, uh, to where Paul and Barnabas are. And they assert in that moment to, uh, to the believers there at Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And uh, we, we read then Paul and Barnabas head to Jerusalem to have a council about this. Hey, we need to work out whether this is the case. And a sect of the Pharisees say the exact same thing. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And we see in this, this opening part when Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and the, the believers come down from Judea and they say this. It says that Paul and Barnabas came into sharp dispute 
and debate with them. And so evidently Paul and Barnabas are, are, are disagreeing with this particular position in this moment. And uh, this, this is really what I want to pick up tonight. This is what we want to explore, what's going on in this moment. And so we're going to almost take a bit of a, a detour from Acts through Galatians, a bit of Romans, and, uh, and see what God has to say to us. Paul and Barnabas, sorry, Paul gives a bit of his insight in Galatians as to what he would have been saying um, to the believers in Antioch, to those who, the guys from Judea coming down saying, you need to be circumcised. This is what Paul says in Galatians 6.12. He says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. So this, this concept of circumcision was about um, a good showing in the flesh. What, what does that mean? What, what it means is that uh, essentially these, uh, these believers coming from, down from Judea were seeking to justify themselves. Circumcision was the token that God had given to the Jewish nation to say that God had chosen them. So I have chosen you, God had already chosen them, and he gave them a token for them to remember that they were chosen, and that was circumcision. But the Pharisees were taking this token and using it to to justify themselves, to say we have a righteousness of our own, demonstrated by the fact that, that we are circumcised. They were claiming something from God actually for themselves. And the only way that you can ever claim something from God for yourself is to do that over and against others uh, who don't have that. And so this um, is essentially what the the Jewish-Gentile divide had had become. God never intended it to be this way. He chose a people, the Jewish nation, for the blessing of the whole world. But the Jews had taken this and and said, we are righteous. We're we're taking something that God has given us and, and, and boosting ourselves effectively. Um, by saying, look, we are righteous, we are in the right, chosen of God, evidenced by the fact that they are not. They are not circumcised, therefore they are not righteous, but wicked and evil. The essence of what it meant for them to be saying that, uh, um, you know, for them to come to the believers in, in Antioch and say, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep the laws of Moses, the essence of all that is, is underlying all of that is the concept that we have it and they don't. We are in and they are out, evidenced by the, by the fact of, of circumcision. This is why all of Paul's letters around justification by faith always relate to the Jew and Gentile divide. These, these Jews were, were taking um, this token that God had given them and saying, Look at us. We are, we are clearly righteous. God has given us this token and uh, we have it. We're circumcised. Therefore, we are righteous. There's a, a self-justification in this moment. They're seeking to appropriate God's love for themselves. And the only way to do that is over and against others. If I am circumcised, I am justified. I am right with God. They aren't. And this is a, a, a terribly damaging thing that Paul is standing against in this moment and, and, and Barnabas alongside of him. And, and circumcision seems like such a silly thing for us to think, you know, to, to, to do that. You know, it's like, oh, what, 
you, you, because you're circumcised, you, you, you have a right, you know, God's chosen you just because you're circumcised. But really, these, these tokens can come about in our lives today as well. Usually, for us right now, it's because I believe this, I am justified, and because they don't believe it, they are not. Once I believe this, then I am right with God. And until you believe this, you are not. We're not actually trusting Christ in this moment. We're trusting our faith. Our our trust is in the fact that we believe something about Jesus rather than in Jesus himself. The place where, where it has been drawn has changed and yet the dividing line of segregation remains. We have it, they don't. We are in, they are out. This is, this is what we can actually do ourselves today, not in circumcision, but around lots of things. We, we justify ourselves and we say we have a righteousness evidenced by the fact that, that others don't. And of course, we would, say, um, we would say to others who are out, we would say, yes, absolutely, you can be in, just as Just as these Jewish people were coming to the the believers in that moment saying, absolutely, you can be in. You can be circumcised. You can keep the laws of Moses. But unless you do those things, you're out. And uh, we might even take this further. In, In some circles of the church today, you need to believe these specific things. Or there needs to be evidence of your genuine belief, these good virtues in your life that demonstrate that you have really believed, but all of these collapse into the same premise that that circumcision is. I am justified because I've been circumcised. I am justified because I have believed or believed correctly or display certain virtues which show that I have believed correctly. And all the while, sin continues in our life and we wonder, Am I justified? How could I be justified? Look at the deceit in my heart. We spend our lives, as F.D. Maurice says, in fretful and selfish questionings and debatings about whether we are a child of God or not. Do I have the right type of faith? Enough faith, enough fruit to show that I have the right type of faith. All of this comes from a place of self-justification. We're, we're trying to work, we're trying to know that we have a righteousness of our own. It's the mentality of a slave we read in scriptures. And uh, I, I want to see if I can illustrate this a little bit more. Um, as I was talking to a few people about this concept this week, I, I think it's helpful to look at it in a human relationship. Imagine um, self-justification in the context of my relationship with Gemma. It's like me thinking... If I do this or that, now, I need to preface this with this. Gemma um, enjoys quality time together. We, we like, I like spending quality time with her, but she, that for her is such a beautiful love language. You know what I mean? She enjoys that quality time. Imagine self-justification in this context. If I do this or that, if I spend enough time with her, then I will be okay with Gemma. She will love me. And so I do it. I put in the hours of quality time. And I've done this before, I must admit, I've done this before. I've put in the hours of quality time. And what do I end up thinking at the end of that? 
I don't end up thinking, wow, Gemma loves me so much. I end up thinking, I've put in the hours here. She, she better appreciate that with a whole lot of love, don't I? And uh, inevitably, truly, because I've experienced this. This is me talking from first-hand experience. Inevitably, I'm disappointed. I miss the very love that she's been wanting to give me the whole time. This is where self-justification will lead us. I want to acknowledge that in in the midst of us doing this, there's often a, a good heart. There's a genuine desire for God, a genuine desire that we need to be free of sin, a genuine desire for others to have justification you you know, um, for for them to be included. But as long as we perceive God's love being contingent or conditional rather than universal and unconditional, then we will always need to be in a place of self-justification, of trying to work out that we have it, that, that God has accepted us. I want to read a, a bit of a lengthy quote, but I think it's going to be really helpful just to understand this. This is, um, this is a guy by the name of F.D. Maurice, and he's talking about post-baptismal sin, right? So you've been baptized, and you recognize after your baptism that you have sinned. This is a, a long quote. I think I had that nickname. Yep. How could those who believed that God had declared His Son to be the root of righteousness for every man that they were baptized into him, adopted to be sons of God in him, how could they teach any human creature that he had had a certain righteousness, justification, freedom from evil for a moment, but that when he had yielded to the lusts of the flesh or the power of the evil spirit, these blessings were no longer his? Of course, they would only teach that It would be so only if his righteousness were his own property. If it could could ever become his own property. But if what baptism proclaimed was precisely that it never could, that the notion of a self-righteousness is false in principle, the greatest of all contradictions, then it must be the right and the duty of men at all times to turn to Him in whom they are created, redeemed, justified. Their trust was either lawful at no time or it was lawful at every time. On no principle save that of continual trust in the Lord of His Spirit could a man assert the privilege and glory of his baptism and rise above his enemies. Righteousness is never, is never actually, we're, we're not trying to get a righteousness for ourselves, to justify the self. God sent His Son, gave Him over to our abuse, so that we could be saved from our sin. Do we need any more justification than that? That God would do that for us. 
Do we need any more justification than that? God has claimed us in Christ. God has called us in Christ. He has loved us by giving us Christ. And who did he give Christ to? Not a select group of people. Not not a specific group. He died for the world, Romans 8.32 tells us. No man can boast. By sending Christ, God has claimed, he has justified every person, every single person who has ever lived. In Christ, God says, I have claimed you as my children. Come out of your sin and be as you truly have been created and as you truly are. Children of the living God, friends, let us believe this. Let us have faith that this is truth, that God has claimed us. And so let us let that challenge us. You know, we think surely he hasn't claimed the people who don't acknowledge him at the moment. Well, then how did he claim us? Wasn't there a moment in our lives where we didn't acknowledge him? Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Who suppress the truth, who, who close their eyes to the truth, who, are, who, who um, walk away from the light. What is actually true of them, that Christ has claimed them. You see, something can be true without us knowing it, Or believing it to be true. Isn't that the case? There's a whole lot of things that are true right now that I don't know to be true. This is why it is only by faith that we know we are justified. As we put forward faith in this truth that we are children of God, that we have been claimed, we will come come to know that it is true, that it is so. Some might say, well, if everyone's already justified by Christ, by the fact that God has sent him for the, for, for the world, where's the incentive to obey? Where's the incentive to be moral? Why, why don't I just go on sinning? Why don't I just live however I want? Paul says to those people in Romans 3.8, their condemnation is just. Romans 6, 15 to 16, he continues in that vein. He asks the hypothetical question, shall we go on sinning? He He says, friends, may it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? He has loved us. He has called us, but we must heed the call. It is only a heart of complete deceit that says, oh yes, very good, I'm a child of God, and then goes on living as if we are children of Satan. The reality is, as long as we stay separate from Jesus Christ, as long as we resist 
the fact that he has justified us, resist his grace, as long as we go on our own way with our own lives, the truth is we will not know his love. However much we say it, however much we say, I am a child of God, I have been justified, it will not be true in our hearts. We will not know it. We will actually experience God as being against us. We will reap the wage of sin, which is death. So how do we heed the call? If he's called us, if he's claimed us, how do we heed the call? We believe that it is true. We believe that we are children of God, that he has claimed us, that this is who we are, that he is going as we ask and as we press into him, as we obey what he's said, who he is with all of our might, with all of our strength, that he will fill us with his Holy Spirit. That, that this, what is true, we will come to know it as truth. To heed the call is, is to trust him. To trust what he has said is true. That I have come and I've died and I've risen again. That you might be children of God. So start to live the, as if this is true. Leave any of your ways that are not who he is. Anything that you think this is not what a child of God would do, leave it. Get, get, it, get rid of it. If we, if we keep it, we're not living according to the truth. Anything you know a child of God would be, pick it up. If you're not doing it, pick it up. What does a child of God do? Look at Jesus, his son, the true son, the true image, our image, the, the, the direction that we are headed, our vision. Pick up anything that you see Jesus doing that you are not currently doing. Start to live believing that this is truth, that God has claimed us. Ah, but here, you're working to justify yourself. Your obedience is your works, the, 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 um, someone might say. That, that comment, that, um, that thought, it only comes from a person who's actually seeking to justify themselves. You see, conforming ourselves to who we are, is, there's no merit in that. We don't, I mean, when we, when we breathe, we're not like, wow, look, how, look at me breathe. I'm so, this is amazing, you know what I mean? We're not, we're not obeying Jesus to earn anything from Him. We're obeying Jesus to receive what He's wanting to give to us. To receive all of who God is into our very person. Maybe a, a, a crass analogy. A waterfall. The waterfall doesn't pour water on you just because you stand at the bottom of the cliff. You know, the waterfall's not, oh, he's standing at the bottom of the cliff. I'm going to pour water on him. But in order to get wet, you need to go and stand under the waterfall. I'll just say that again. So, so our obedience to Jesus, we, we have to obey him in order to get wet. For the waterfall, to, to, for God's love to come and flow into our heart. We have to obey him. 
But just because we obey him doesn't mean that he, he pours it in. He's always pouring it in. He's longing to pour it in. It's not like he sees us obey him and go, okay, now that you've obeyed me, I'm going to pour it into you. No way, no way. He's pouring in and our obedience is our receipt. It's just our opening up of our lives to who he is, to receive what he wants to give us. The way Paul would talk about it, he, he would say, my obedience is not to earn a wage, it's to receive a gift, the gift of Christ. Christ's joy, Christ's peace, Christ's love, the way that Christ loved to receive that into us, Christ's life. This is what he's longing to pour into us. Have we been justified? You betcha, every one of us. He sent his son. What more do we need? He's given everything to show us that he's claimed us. George MacDonald says, what is faith in him? Question mark, I answer. The leaving of your way, your objects, yourself, and the taking of his, the taking of him. The leaving of your trust in men, in money, in opinion, in character, in the atonement itself, and doing as he tells you to receive Jesus is is to obey Him, is to trust Him. One last illustration to hopefully help us get our our head around the difference between having our own self-justified righteous and receiving the righteousness of Christ. Imagine Christianity as a school for a second. It's a school. I know that's a a big complex. It's it's kind of a school in some ways, but just imagine it was a school or a university. The one who self-justifies is content with the piece of paper hanging on the wall saying that they have the degree from the school. The piece of paper hanging on the wall justifies that they have it, clearly, because others don't have that piece of paper hanging on the wall. So because I've got the piece of paper, I must, I must have it, I must have Christianity. But really their trust is in the piece of paper. The one who has faith in Christ, not in a piece of paper, enters into the school. They don't just want to skip over the the learning to get the piece of paper. They enter in. They're all in. They, they, They want to learn from Christ. They want to learn of Christ. They want to learn His easy burden. And in learning it and in finding it, salvation and eternal life, they want everyone else to come on into this school rather than saying, well, hang on, I've got the piece of paper and, and you know, they don't have the piece of paper, therefore that, that shows up. No, come on in. The, the doorway is open. Come on in. And so this is God's word to us this, after, uh, this evening, sorry, for us to leave behind the selfish craving for a righteousness of our own that we can trust in over and against others. It will always divide us. It will say, we're in, sorry, we're in, they're out. That's always where it will take us. Let us know that Christ has justified every man, every woman, 
by, by coming and by enduring our death, taking on our nature, um, receiving all that was a part of that, and then rising again to show us that there is a way and it is who He is. And as we enter into that, as we begin to put forward all of our energy in obeying Him, in doing as He tells us, in trusting Him, we will come to know that this is the truth. Jesus said, if you will keep my commands, then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I want to just I'll finish by reading Romans 8, 29 through 34. I haven't got it on the screen. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his, his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And listen to this, for us who know these truths tonight, those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God, God's elect? God is the one who justifies. God has justified you. God has justified me. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus. Is he who died, yes, yet, uh, yes rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Heavenly Father, we say thank you. Thank you that while we were in our sin, you died to justify the ungodly. Thank you, God, that you have revealed that every man, every woman, every child is your child. You're not letting them go, God. They're, they're, not, they're not outcasts. You're holding on to them in love. And God, we can take up this truth, we can believe it by obeying your son, Jesus, by, by, by putting forward faith in him. You, Christ, the only begotten son of God, our master, the one who redeemed us, our savior. And as we, as we follow you, you say that, that um, you will lead us out of our sin. That it is by trusting you, by believing that this is what God you have done, that this is who we are, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit as we keep taking step after step after step following you, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you said you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will be with us every step of that journey. So, Lord, this evening, we come not to seek a righteousness of our own, not to say, I'm in the right, you know, I, I, you know I'm accepted by God, these, these people aren't or anything like that, Lord. We come to worship Jesus Christ and to say, He 
is our justification. He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. He is our salvation. He is our love. He is our joy. He is our peace. And we come to receive that from you, God, into the, into the true depths of who we are. Thank you, God, that you hold on to us in your love. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.